The Lancet Psychiatry Podcast, bringing you the latest news and views from around the world of mental health. Thanks for joining us. The Wellcome Trust recently launched a series of commissions to help improve workplace mental health for young adults. One of the few silver linings of COVID-19 is that its disruption to normal work has given us an opportunity to ask, how can we do better in creating work environments for both our physical and mental healths? On the line with us to discuss this more is Aaron Candola, PhD candidate in psychiatric epidemiology at University College London, whose group worked on one of these commissions dealing with the overlap between physical and mental health in, in the workplace namely excessive periods of sitting and how this can be a risk factor for depression and anxiety in young people. And the results of their work will be presented soon at the World Economic Forum. Aaron, thanks very much for joining us today. Hi, Dustin. Thanks for having me on. So uh, before we kind of launch into some of the take-homes from, from the report, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of background about why you chose uh, to focus on this specific topic for, for the commission. Sure. So I think we all know that exercise is good for us, right? And not getting enough can have consequences for the body and the brain. Uh, We also all all know that there are similar risks associated with sitting down all day. So both sitting down all day and not getting enough exercise are both each associated with a greater risk of depression and anxiety symptoms. Now, those two phenomenons are, of course, related. But as risk factors, they appear to be independent, such that the risk associated with sitting down all day may not necessarily be ameliorated by getting 150 minutes of moderate activity per week that we are recommended. So we're increasingly coming towards this realization that the relatively tiny proportion of the day that we spend exercising, say 30 minutes a day, may not necessarily make up for the enormous chunk of the day that we spend sitting down, which for most people is around nine hours. And much of that nine hours comes from the workplace. So around 60% of that typically comes from the workplace. In office workers specifically, it sits nearer to 70%. So sitting down too much increases the risk of depression and anxiety symptoms. And it's something that typically happens mostly during work time. Mm. What makes the workplace such an important target for addressing excessive sitting is that working environments and routines are subject to these regulatory frameworks that with the help of business leaders and policymakers, we can influence in in a positive way. Whereas sitting during leisure time, you know, we're always kind of fighting an uphill battle here because we're asking people to do less of the things that they choose to do for fun. Mm. Uh, And ultimately, these are things that are designed to be as enjoyable as possible, like watching TV or, you know, asking people to play less games. So the workplace is a more viable target for reducing excessive sitting as a possible risk factor for uh, depression and anxiety symptoms. When when you started looking at the evidence for for this topic, were there any surprises or, or findings you you weren't expecting that uh, that that came up? Um, I think actually the main findings were relatively in line with what we we're expecting. Um, we you know it kind of stands to reason that these dynamic workstations like high adjustable desks are pretty good for reducing sitting at work, um, and that they work well in these sort of multi-component frameworks where you have components of the intervention that target individual behaviors to sort of instill habit formation and then you have other components that target culture and policy changes around the workplace to create a more dynamic environment so it kind of makes sense that those those interventions work quite well um, and also some of the barriers that uh, to, to successfully implementing these interventions that we come across in the literature things like the perception of standing or moving at work being unproductive or unusual which puts people off um, so I think in a way those things kind of make sense what was more surprising was what wasn't there 
Um, so there is really quite a lack of focus on mental health. Um, mm. Most of the trials and interventions focused on physical health outcomes that we looked at. And they, while they do have secondary outcome measures of things like stress and fatigue, there was very little direct uh, tracking of, of things like depression, anxiety, symptoms, pre and, and post intervention, which I think is quite surprising given the prevalence of these um, symptoms and the problems that they that they pose in, in the workplace. Um, although I think it's worth mentioning that some of the larger and more recent trials do have some measures of uh, mental health in there. So I think we're probably heading in the right direction in that regard. Um, another thing that was surprising actually was the the lack of focus on remote working and, and digital interventions, because you know even before COVID times, we were we were shifting anyway towards this sort of remote, flexible working culture, which has obviously been accelerated now, and I think it's just going to continue in that direction. Um, and while some of the bigger trials they did have digital components to them, there was very little direct assessment uh, of whether these approaches could be adapted for home working and whether they work in that sort of environment. And. You know, one thing I'm, I was curious about is why companies may focus on physical health or traditionally have focus on physical health is one, you know, maybe it's a little bit easier to measure, but I, but I also wonder about stigma too in the workplace. Just, I was hoping to get your thoughts on that, whether or not you think that that might be a barrier for people exploring mental health in the workplace and how to change in the environment. Yeah, so I think traditionally there's, of course, been this this quite well-documented stigma around, around uh, mental health, and that certainly translates into uh, the working environment. I think that there's, in a way, people see it as, as not being professional to talk about these mm. things openly during the workplace. So I think that there may be an underestimation of, of what an impact it can have. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's bigger than a lot of people might perceive it to be because of that, um, because it's not just people taking days off due to having mental health problems. It's also this, this concept of presenteeism, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's being at work, but not functioning as well as you could do. And it's incredibly hard to, to measure that. And if people aren't talking about it as well, it's sort of, you know, gone under the radar for quite a while, but I do think that things are heading in the right direction more and more um, of these sort of much big, uh, larger employers are taking notice of mental health and they are sort of trying to, raise awareness of it. and it's almost seen as a it's kind of like a progressive um, idea in the workplace now that you look after your employees mental health and it's it's an important thing to to care about so I think that things are changing for the better but traditionally it's been quite a, quite a bad uh, environment for for mental health yeah and you could also imagine especially for young people entering the workplace uh, it's probably important to have a good um I guess, a good example set by the company and by higher ups that, yes, it's okay if you are having problems, you know, this is something that we should be discussing and we should be doing things to actively improve uh, uh, your mental health. Um, so based on what you found and, and the report, just for our listeners, I was wondering if you could uh, kind of give us, you know, what are the top three main things that you think we should take away from, from the report and from your commission and, you know, any questions that you think should really drive uh, future, future work in this area? So I think a big factor for me is getting mental health on an equal footing with, with physical health. So I think a big, uh, something that we need to look more towards uh, in, in future research is getting trials to at least evaluate mental health more consistently through these interventions. But even better would be to develop interventions with improving mental health as the primary outcome. Because as we, we all know from the introduction to just about you know, any paper on depression and anxiety, their contributions to the global disability burden are enormous. 
and in terms of years lost to disability. And these disorders also are associated risk factors for many of the mental health problems that the workplace interventions are typically targeting. So uh, for example, cardiovascular disease. But unlike cardiovascular disease, there's actually been relatively little progress in terms of prevention and early intervention for depression and anxiety disorders. So it would be really good to see more of these workplace sitting interventions targeting depression and anxiety symptoms specifically. I think that would be um, a good step in the right direction. Um, I think there's there's also something around framing these as mental health interventions could help to maybe improve adherence and acceptability because not everybody ultimately is is motivated by the prospect of lowering the cardiovascular or metabolic risks, particularly younger employees. Um, so I think mental health in some ways is a more immediate and relatable concept uh, for some people, particularly given its prevalence and the early onset of symptoms. Um, and related to that, it would be good to see more of a focus on younger employees as well in these interventions, because typically the ages, the average ages range between 40 and 60, which is mm. of course a high risk group for a lot of the physical health conditions that um, these workplace interventions are targeting. But as we, as we know that the onset of depression, anxiety symptoms are typically earlier than that. So trials targeting late adolescents and young, uh, young adults would be ideal from a prevention, early intervention kind of standpoint. Um, but also, you know, in a practical sense, ultimately, these young people who are just entering the uh, entering work now represent the future of the workforce. So given that how ingrained sitting is in modern work, instilling these new values and routines as early as possible, maybe that's a more promising method of reducing sustainable changes in the way we work in, in the long run. Um, and touching on a, a point I made earlier as well, I think a, another area of focus should be, can we adapt these approaches for remote working? Because ultimately, it'll be interesting to see whether these flexible and remote working routines continue after tro uh, after COVID. But I think mm -hmm. that ultimately, they're just going to become more common. It's mm -hmm. going to become more common in the workplace. So developing interventions with these remote working environments specifically in mind, I think, is a good way of future-proofing these ideas and these, these uh, new ways of working. All right, great. Well, thanks, Aaron, uh, very much for joining us today. And I just want to let our listeners know that you can find the details about the report uh, on the UK Welcomes, uh, Welcome Trust website, uh, which should be out soon. Um, thanks again, Aaron, for joining us. And uh, yeah, uh, it was great to hear your thoughts on this. Great. Thanks, Dustin. That's it for this episode. From the entire editorial team at the Lancet Psychiatry, thanks for listening. Be well and stay safe.